to The Forbes Factor, featuring celebrity TV host, million-dollar entrepreneur, and renowned health and fitness superstar, Forbes Riley, a familiar face from TV, as well as one of today's most sought-after female motivational speakers today. You'll connect with some of the top experts in health and fitness, business, and personal development, as well as some surprise celebrities, all sharing their insight, tips, and tricks to finding true happiness. Now, here's your host, Forbes Riley. Hey, everybody. It is Forbes Riley, and welcome to another edition of Forbes Factor. You know, we're going on to our 12th year, and it's just such a joy and an honor. Uh, For those of you listening live, it is, in fact, the new year. We love to keep track of where in the world is Forbes Riley. Can't wait to you to hear my February schedule. Oh, my gosh. I'm packing up my bag on February 6th, not coming home until March 6th. I'm on tour going to, let's see, we've got Utah, Phoenix, North Carolina, uh, Los Angeles, and and then Joshua, even though he keeps telling me he's going to not compete anymore as a bodybuilder, he's going back one more time. He's like, I want to be a three-time Arnold champion. I'm like, dude, I love you. Uh, We're going to be doing this until he's 90. Uh, But you know what? That is part of uh, of the joy of being in, in love with a champion. So for those of you, again, listening, it's New Year's. What does that mean? It means that you're just about ready to fall off of your New Year's resolution because we're three weeks into the year. Oh, hello. I just read a statistic that says 80% of people, it was in Forbes, 80% of people who make a resolution have fallen off by the time February comes around. We're not part of the norm. You're a Forbes Factor listener. You are exceptional. You are somebody who says, I've got goals. I'm going to stick to them. And I'm going to tell you that my guest today, we've given her the entire hour because she's very extraordinary, has got a message. Not only has she been successful in business, but just like me, she's like, you know, there's an artistic side of my life and I don't want to miss that. So for those of you playing along with me in April of 2024, you're going to get to come to a major movie premiere. We're going to have Black Creek premiering and two TV shows that I have now guest hosted on uh, called 60 Day Hustle and Two Minute Drill. It's got a number in it. I'm waiting for 60 minutes to invite me. Um, I'm your girl. But I will tell you, we're all about health, wealth, and happiness here. We love our entrepreneurs. We love the spirit. And entrepreneurialism is in every aspect. It's not a thing. It's an ideal. It's a concept. It means that you are a risk taker. It means that you are willing to begin with the end in mind and go for it. It means that you write down your plans and you manifest things. It means that you just dream differently and you don't have someone else telling you when it's time to take a vacation, which means you've also traded in your 40-hour week work week to work for 80 hours for yourself. But hey, you know what? We all think it's worth it. And I wouldn't trade my lifestyle for anything. But I want you to be inspired I bring you stories every week of people who are pushing the envelope in their own way and so that you can see yourself going, you know, that wasn't a role model that I ever had. I would have loved to have met some of my guests 20 years ago. It would have radically changed my life. And I think Pam Didner is one of those women. I'm going to bring her up. Thank you so much. Come on up here. Hello. hello. Hey, how are you? You know, so much for having me. Where are you located, by the way? Uh, you say you're going to be doing a worldwide tour, if nothing else, in the U.S. I'm actually in North Carolina. So if you are here, stop I, by. Well, I'm coming to Charlotte. Are you anywhere near Charlotte? Ah, oh, so sad. No. So sad. I'm actually in Raleigh, North Carolina. So it's about two and a half hour drive. So sorry. You I mean, I- if you make a pit stop here, you know, definitely get together. We'd love to see you. 
Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I don't normally get to North Carolina. This is a big uh, speaker thing that I'm doing. It's very strange to to have dreamed about being on tour and now doing it. Because I remember when COVID hit, I'm like, because I at that point, I was traveling 200 days a year. And I'm like, I just want to sleep in. And then I got to sleep in for two years. <laughs> then you were like, no, this is not for me. I need to do something else. <laughs> Let me have my life back. <laughs> well, thank God for Zoom, or I would have gone absolutely stir crazy. Pam, will you do me a favor? Tell everybody a little bit about you. Yeah, very quickly. Hi, everyone. Pam Dinner here. I'm actually a marketer and specifically for B2B, which is a business to business. And uh, I was in the corporate world for 20 some years and left about 10 years ago. And I've been on my own to just like Forb indicated, I kind of started my own business and 10 years has passed and I'm doing okay. Knock on wood, and hopefully there's another 10 years to come. And in the meantime, I kind of started uh, a little bit kind of like, I would say, off the past and trying to write a fictional novel. Which I just love. Like I said, I'm going off and working on my acting career, and you're going off and writing a novel. We're going to get really? to Really? Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. That's excellent. I love it. It's really what I, I played the bad girl in an action Western, which was always one of my dreams. And I just manifested it and I love it. And it also speaks to my martial arts background. So I'm very, very excited. So I can clearly see that you're Asian, but I don't, I've not been to that. I've been to China, but I don't know where are you specifically from? I was born in Taiwan and I came to the States when I was about 15. So I have been here ever since. So yeah, it's a Taiwanese girl that actually been on the both sides of a uh, coast. I live in the West Coast actually for a long period of time. And now I live on the East Coast and my mother-in-law lives with us. So we moved to North Carolina to take care of my husband's family. And uh, here we are. So it's actually kind of nice. Now I... I was in business with a Taiwanese. Actually, his uh, his dad was a big ambassador, but I don't think that most Americans even know the difference. Tell me about Taiwan. What do Americans need to know about Taiwan? Okay, so obviously, you know, you a lot of people, if you watch CNN or even Fox News, you hear about this, like uh, the conflict between Taiwan and China. And Taiwan is that this little island and then Taiwan and China is right here. And they are really separated by a Taiwan Strait, which is like 25 miles, kind of like coast, sea line. And uh, so uh, back in 1948, that uh, there was two parties, like they are fighting each other. And one is more democratic. The other one is what's so-called communist. And then uh, obviously uh, communists took over and won to China. And then uh, the national party, the nationalist party, and retreated to Taiwan. So Taiwan, although that the China claimed that is actually one part of them, that is a very democratic country. And uh, unfortunately, due to the Chinese pressure that a lot of uh, countries don't recognize Taiwan as a country of its own, but there is a massive economic trade uh, Taiwan has with many, many countries. So it's kind of a unique position, if you will. Yeah. Well, you often see made in Taiwan as opposed to made in China. Exactly. Which, and, and it is such a small what did you, What did your parents do? My dad uh, was a professor for actually a long period of time and he retired. And my mom kind of, you know, just at that time, his her genre is really taking care of the children, right, back in the uh, 60s and 70s. So my dad was actually a political science professor for about 20 some years. I am a political scientist graduate. Really? I, I was one of my majors in college. I'm not quite sure what to do with it. I was <laughs> I don't know. I ran 
for the con run for Congress and go for the you know uh, 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 policy making or uh, political positions. I guess. Well, you know what? I, I decided that I could make I could change more policies if I was famous. Because I remember in the early days, as I was looking, going, do I want to go into law or politics or where do I want to take this? Mm -hmm. And I realized that no one in my hometown could name their congressman, barely their senator, <laughs> certainly not their local representatives, but everybody knew so Jane Fonda. Right. <laughs> they knew this actress. I'm like, if you're an actress and you're famous, maybe you can affect more. Maybe you can do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that's, that's actually true. That's actually true. Obviously, you have done a pretty good job so far. That's That was my political strategy, just so you know. What did you want to be when you were little? <laughs> you know, me? Yeah. You know, I was actually kind of a child that really did not have a lot of ambition. And um, and I I did not I did not know what I wanted honestly, and uh, nobody kind of inspired me. My parents was like, you know what? Why don't you just be a piano instructor? Why don't you just be elementary <laughs> school teacher? I'm not kidding. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. The reason is like, oh, if you are a teacher, you actually have a summer and winter off, and you can take care of your kids. That's kind of their. Um, it's wow. nothing wrong with that attitude or that approach. It's just basically, it's easier for you, Pam. Then, of course, I didn't follow that at all. And I um, went I went to school for many years. I uh, College and then graduate school, got my MBA, got my CPA, and then started working in the corporate world. And um, I was very fortunate working for a big company. And in that company, I ran into a lot of managers that encouraged me to move around. So even though I have a finance and accounting degrees and I was in operations, I was in procurement, eventually I ended up in the marketing department and that somehow shaped who I am and provided the knowledge I needed to be independent consultant. Give me, some, <laughs> give me some insight into what marketing means at that level in a company like that. You know, that's a very good question for so marketing means different things to different people. If you are a TikTok influencer, obviously marketing means different than if you actually work in a corporation and then you're doing marketing in a big corporate. And a lot of time in a big corporate, um, when like for example, when Google they sell products when they make millions of dollars, it's not necessarily selling to consumer, they tend to sell to enterprises, the companies, and that's called business to business. To business. So a lot of marketings um, that was done actually at the corporate level tend to be a B2B. And uh, it sounds incredibly boring. It's like you are selling to business, but at the same time, you are really selling to kind of like the decision makers within the company. So you have to find a way to talk to them. The way that you talk to the, the corporate or the people who work in a corporate is very different than the way you talk to consumers. I think that's the biggest difference between kind of like marketing to consumers or marketing to um, uh, companies. I don't, you know, it's funny. I, I've represented many corporations. I don't think I could work in one. I don't. <laughs> I, don't I think they would just, I, they would. It's be, very I hard. Know. It is very hard. I mean, I've been there for 20 years and I did not know that how hard it was after I left. So Forbes, you kind of reach that, you know, um, kind of epiphany, like very, like early on, you're like, I cannot work in a big company. So it took me a long time, 20 years to realize, you know what? Well, but, but you know, but you know what? I wish I, I wish I had, there were two things that I wish if I could go back and do a little bit of career differently. One, yeah. I would have even interned with a really successful female CEO yeah. because I missed the yeah. memo. Uh, I just got off, the, I just got off a call with a very high level. He was actually the CMO for Kodak. 
great yeah, big company. Nice. Mm-hmm. And he talked about how precious time was and how they went through all of this. And as I was putting on my makeup today, I thought, you know what? I'm wasting another hour of my life that you don't have to spend. <laughs> so when you tell me that time is precious, this whole hair and makeup thing is a woman <laughs> and having kids and being responsible for the household, uh, because your mom, like my mom, their job was to run the house. Well, run the house. I, That's it. Nothing else. I, right. But when yeah. I'm out working, who's running my house? So it's, you know, sometimes I want a wife. I just want to tell you, I want a wife. <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> it is an interesting challenge being a woman in business. Did yeah. you see a difference between men and women at your corporate level? Oh, yeah. I think um, given that I worked in the past 20 some years, so I've been through kind of like the 90s and the 2000s and now kind of like uh, almost like, you know, 20, what, 2010 to 2020. And uh, it's definitely changed for the better. But when I started back in the 90s, let's think about it, Forbes. When we started in that world, it's very different. I have to dress up. I don't know if you remember. I have to wear a suit. I have to wear, I have to wear, I mean, I have to wear that whole outfit and I wear stocking. And then now you like, you know, yoga pants works, right? So I think this definitely changed for the better. But in terms of the female and male uh, treatments, when I started, definitely there is a substantial difference in terms of pay for sure. And also the length of the times that's needed for promotion and uh, also how people treat you. Yeah. Well, I don't know if we should ask, why do you think that is as opposed to, will that be different? We're still hearing after all of these years, that pay gap. Yeah. I, I personally think it's getting better and better because it forced the corporation to actually uncover or look at that part of it. They don't want to really pay attention to. Right. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I am a culprit myself. Like I probably should have voiced that, you know, louder and, and, uh, uh, much louder and also earlier, but a lot of women, we are also have that fear, right? If we say something, we may lose our job and that's at the individual level. Right. It's not at a very aggregate level that, hey, if we all do it together, we will win. It's more or less like if I do it, just me doing it, no one else is doing it, I will lose my job. Or that will be a bad mark for me if I decide to move up. So I think there's a lot of reason we kind of let it go at that time or for a long period of time. Let's say from 60 until like, you know, early 2000. No, I completely agree with you. You know, the people who stand up and are loud get arrows. They don't always get praises. And they sometimes. Yeah, no, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. I mean, I mean they are the one get shot. Right? And you look at it, like, well, I'm not sure. We have kids we have to feed. So. Now, do you have kids? I have two boys. Oh, isn't that interesting? So you, I have, luckily I've got a boy and a girl, so I get to experience both. Mm-hmm. How is raising two boys? How old are they? 25 and 26. Mm, how has raising two boys influenced you as a woman, do you think? You know what? Um, I think um, that's a very good question. I kind of, if I was thinking, now you asked me that question. If I, if I had a girl, I probably would treat the girl pretty much the way I treat the boy. And I think that's very important for us to treat both gender equally. Because if we want to be treated equally, we have to treat both gender equally ourselves as a, as a mother, if you will. And uh, so um, well, I was very tough, actually, on both children. And uh, from my perspective, I'm, not, I'm never a tiger mom, 
I'm never a tiger mom. I never told them that they have to go to like Ivy League schools. I never told them they have to get straight. They don't have to do any of that stuff. From my perspective, it's very important that uh, you get a job. If you decide not to go to college, I don't give a crap, right? But at the age of 18, you have to leave and you have to be independent. And I taught my kids that very early on. And the second thing I taught my kids, both of them, is like anything you put on internet, anything, uh, right. it's going to be there forever, forever. That's so true. think about it. You know, just think about it when you post something. Okay. It's just going to be there forever. Just, you just think about it, the consequence of it before you post. I so love that. Just, That's very yeah. true. But I'm going to challenge you. See, this is the difference growing up corporate mom, growing up entrepreneur mom that I never thought of before. Okay, I, told, go ahead. I, I told my kids to never get a job. I don't care whether you go to college or not. You know, that's actually a very good point. I'll finish because my daughter at 12 years old started her very first dropship company, made $10,000 in a month. And she said to me, mom, I love this. She's been digital marketing her entire career at 17. She comes to me five years in business now. Forget her age. Five years in business making a very nice living. And it's COVID. My twins are doing their schoolwork, their junior work in my house. She says, mom, I'm going to start you a business because you're suck at this whole online thing. (laughs) You're not very good at the whole marketing and the whole backend CRM. (laughs) I'm going to build it for you. You do what you do best, mom. You talk, you teach. Day one of having a 17-year-old run my company we gross. I had to say to her, McKenna, what does the K stand for on my bank account? So what do you mean? I said, it's just we have 25K. She's like, mom, you had 25 people last night in a class. You sold all, all of them a $1,000 product. A month later, we had 100K. Six months later, we had an M. We had $1.2 million. Yeah. She's 21. She's not going to college like her twin brother that her dad demanded because he's a Notre Dame graduate. Yeah. And she has 16 people working for her. So may I also counter-argue that? <laughs> yeah, come on, come on. <laughs> so um, Forbes, you are, I want to say you are 100% correct in, in that way. Actually, there was one book I read back in 2006, kind of changed my life. It's Rich Dad and Poor Dad. Yeah. Robert Kiyosaki was talking about don't follow the traditional route of going to school. Basically, you need to start your own business as soon as possible, which is what your daughter did. And I applaud that. However, I also feel that kind of a path may not apply to everybody. It depends on that person. Okay, so... She has that person's personality. She has the gut. No, 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 but this is great. You're right. She has a twin brother. This is the craze. This is the best part. And I love that you talked about how you might treat your daughter. I didn't think about sex at all raising my children. Which is great. You should. That was was irrelevant to me. In fact, neither one of them look good in tap shoes. (laughs) (laughs) And so my son has a very different sensibility. He is definitely a college kid. He yeah. is definitely a corporate brain kind of kid. Mm-hmm. And we could see that. And so he is definitely, and I will tell you something interesting too, because I'm all about just a little bit woo-woo manifestation. Because yeah. of the way they went to high school and didn't really even have a graduation thanks to COVID, he didn't do a very good application for college. He didn't get in anywhere. This is a top That's okay. That's okay. Kid. Yeah. You know what? But you know what? The other side of what I teach is I teach unbelievable grit. He yeah. went up, so he knew where he wanted to go. He wanted to go to Babs, and that was his choice. And again, like you, I didn't make them do anything. Yeah, I don't he either. Yeah. Went to a community college locally, got very close to the whole Babson community, and then he ended up transferring. And you know what? That's perfect, yeah. It's exactly. the right path for him. 
Yeah. So I, I, so when I was reading, just come back to your point, Forbes. And when I was reading Robert uh, Kiyosaki's book, and um, I did not follow his first advice, which is I still follow that traditional route of going to school and find a corporate job. Blah, blah, blah. But this, his second advice in the book is try to invest smartly and save as much as you can and be very smart about your financial management. That I took it to heart. So I, I think at the end, if we are just looking from assets perspective, we might may not be you probably a whole lot better than me. You know, as to some extent, we probably doing okay, but we just take a slightly different, we all take a different path. You know what I'm saying? And the, the destination might be very similar at the end, but it's all different path. Yeah. You know, at some point you decided to leave the corporation world and say, I'm not doing this anymore. When was that? That was 2014. So that was 10 years ago. And yeah. was that a challenging transition? Oh, yeah, very much so. And uh, you have to understand that, um, you know, a person who, me- who, who measure in uh, uh, major in finance and accounting, his, it's by nature is already pretty conservative, right? I mean, I'm not the type of person I take huge amount of risk. I'm the first person to say that, right? And uh, so for me to leave that, that the corporate, that protection wing, and I have to... I have to fly on my own or I have to jump off the cliff, you know, without parachute, however you want to, whatever uh, parody or uh, analogy you want to use. It was, it was just like, I cannot breathe like for a little while. I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And uh, if now I could talk to myself that, 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 you know, way back 10 years ago, I would say, you know what? Everything will be fine. It would just be fine. You know? So, um, yeah, it was actually hard. Uh, the first several years, there, there was a lot of self-doubt. Like, am I good enough? Am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? And there was several months you were like twiddling your fingers, was like, okay, where's my pipeline? You know, but yeah, but here I am nine years later. So I guess I'm okay. <laughs> but so what did you take with you when you decided to go out on your own? What was the business you started? Um, I took my knowledge with me. So I was selling services, intangible services, which is my knowledge. And uh, I worked in the corporate for a long time. And um, I uh, created a framework. I think that works. And I wrote a book. So I started with a book, you know, a lot of independent. What was the book? book? What did you write? It's a marketing book called Global Content Marketing, how to scale content across different regions in a big enterprise. So it's very much, it sounds very boring. I know it's very boring. No, 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 it doesn't sound boring. No, 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 stop. (laughs) No, and you know what? I've been lucky enough because I, one of my, my businesses takes me to QVC around the world and QVC is in Japan and China and London and Italy and Germany. So I've been around culturally to see that, you know, there is a difference, but there's also a very large world outside of the U S to yeah. sell and market things that you know, funny, as, I'm, yeah. as I'm saying that I'm, I don't think that any of my coaching is translated into any other language. And I'm thinking maybe I need to, maybe you should do that. Yeah. Especially That's Spanish, at least yeah. South America. Cause I've got a massive student body in South America, <laughs> but what's something that you could tell an entrepreneur about maybe taking their brand a little more global? What would, what's the keys to that? You know, that's actually a very good question. And uh, that's somehow related to like a personal branding as well. And um, my my thought is in terms of building your business is try to actually have a solid products first. 
your product is very, very important. Your product is what you sell. That doesn't matter if it's your services with something tangible or a solid product that you are selling as a pen, right? So make sure that you have a solid product. And I think, and then of course, they can take a page from you in terms of how you promote yourself. At the end of the day, nobody knows who you are. And they cannot see the services that uh, services that you offer. Like right. when you look at the pen, they're like, okay, what do you offer? I don't know. And then you hold down the pen and people was like, okay, why is this di- pen different than any other pen, right? So you have to have a unique differentiator about what this is and uh, what you offer. And then the next thing is have that very solid and you can talk about it very comfortably. And then the next things that you do is you promote the heck out of it. Just like what you're doing. Just as, like if, as if it's so easy to promote the heck out of something. It's so very hard. It is very hard. I'm no, not saying it's easy. Let, no, I don't know if it's very hard, but it's strategic. So let's get into the idea. You've got this amazing market. First of all, a question for you. Marketing sure. and sales. Incorporations, yeah, yeah. they're two different departments, but what's the difference? Very good point. So if you think about a purchase funnel, like Forbes, let's just use you as an example, right? That people are very much aware, like people, first of all, needs to be aware of you, right? So that's what I call top of the funnel. And then once they are aware of you, they were like, oh my God, I like Forbes. I want to follow Forbes. So they kind of check on your channel, that's middle of the funnel. And they started getting to know you and love a lot of things you offer. They were like, you know what? I'm going to take your course. That's the bottom of the funnel. So in general, the top of the funnel to middle of the funnel to bottom funnel, which is a closed sales. In, you know, in the corporate world, there's a line that's been divided. Anything kind of like, like on top of the funnel tend to be managed by marketing because that's promotion, that's brain awareness. Anything in the middle of marketing and also the bottom marketing tend to be managed by sales. Oh, that's interesting. So how do you get the two of them in alignment? Oh, very good question. They don't. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) They do. They do. In the past, in the past, when before anything was online, before digital, I mean, now the millennials, they cannot fathom that we actually use Yellow Page and uh, instead of Facebook, but whatever. Um, You know, way back then that there's not much of a computer and there's no Wi-Fi and there's, you know, everything tend to be on print or on the on the key like uh, broadcast channels. That's where you get oh magazines, right? Mm-hmm. Magazines and newspaper and the radio is where you get the information. And uh, so that promotion during that time was substantially easier than now because there's only established channels, right? Now all the channels are fragmented. It's very hard to get a message out, or the message tend to be cluttered because a lot of people are selling exactly or similar things. Right. So how to get them to align in the corporate world or as an individual? As an individual, it's not hard. Forbes, you manage your marketing, you manage your sales. You got that, right? I got that, I got that. Right. But in the big corporations, you have to actually have um, kind of like a role, some responsibility. Who well, is to but, but actually, I'm gonna, transition, right? I'm going I'm to challenge, challenge you because it's yeah, not right. that easy to do your brand. <laughs> But let's go back, especially when you are your brand. Don't you find that really challenging? Like it's I do. I, do. I, mean, I, te- I teach a little bit of business, you know, business plan writing. And I try to explain to my team that big corporations go away for months to come up with this mission statement that's a sentence long. So don't stress if you haven't gotten it overnight. Right. I do, I do agree with that. So I hear you. When I said it's much easier, I'm talking about 
because the decision-making process for you are you and you have a small team, you guys can kind of go back and forth and make decisions very quickly. Yes. So when I said it's easier, that means decision-making is a whole lot easier. In, corporate, in corporation, there's many cooks in the kitchen, it's much harder. That's number one. And I do agree with you in terms of marketing or even sales, it was not easy even for individuals like you, like me, that uh, we have to take care of everything on our own with a finite resources and budget. Yes, it's definitely harder. I agree with you. I'm just saying that in terms of making decision move fast, it, it, it's it's a whole lot more doable, if you will, as an individual than a corporation. But so what do you think are some of the key elements that we can give our entrepreneurs What are, in terms of branding? The branding part of it, I, I want to talk about marketing as a whole, not just branding. It also, you know, branding is one thing. You, you know, a lot of people think about branding as a logo, all right, or a very uh, a cool name of your product. And I think that can be one part of it. At the end of the day is the product. What are you selling? Right. <laughs> How do you make that emotional connection with the target audience of yours? The key thing is a product and who are you selling? I think these are two holy grail. You have to somehow make sure you crack the code. Okay. I think that's an interesting, but what about personal brand? Have you branded yourself? Do you think? Uh, I did. Uh, I think uh, if I look at the from data's perspective, and not necessarily a lot of people will search like, okay, if they search B2B marketing or marketing consultant, I may come up, may not, depending on how it was searched. But when people search me organically, Pam Dinner, I can see that uh, there are people actually out there searching my names. So that is one way to validating. I somehow build a personal brand. But at the same time, the services or the um, um, the offering I provide tend to be very niche. It's a B2B marketing. So there's only certain type of people that are searching for me. So so you don't focus at all on B2C? I don't actually. Yeah. I'm very focused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, B. So because I've sold B2B, do you think entrepreneurs can do that and don't realize it's even a market? Uh, yes. It depends on what kind of product they are selling. For example, if you are selling a software, right? Like, like that's think through like a lot of software, like for example, I don't know. Oh, you no, can- I'm going to challenge you not software. Let's go to coaching. Cause I think that's a lot of my people. Software makes sense to me, but you okay. got coaching because corporations could buy your coaching. I mean, there's, there's places bigger than an individual. Does that? I, I do agree. Yeah. So, so you have to think through if you are a personal coach, I'm a coach myself as well. I do right. personal coaching on the marketing side. Right. So, so you have to think through is your coaching. You are doing individual coaching that you coaching to kind of like, the individual you want to go after, or you want to do a, a coaching, it's kind of like a business coaching. You want to be hired by the HR department of a corporation. They put you as a vendor of a choice, and then you will provide a lot of coaching to the people within the corporation. That's a B2B selling. That's okay. a B2B coaching. And the other one is you kind of promote yourself as an individual, and then you, you, you coach each individual separately. And so, all right, so you now have been doing this, but at some point you woke up and said, wait, life is only so short. I want to write novels. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's like, I, every time I think about it, I was like, why am I putting myself through? This is ridiculous. It's kind of no, like you want to act 
you know, it's you, you, there's always something you want to do. And yes. um, I have to tell you one thing. I always want to write, but I'm never a good writer. I never consider myself a good writer. I'm, and by the way, this is not like us. Uh, I'm telling the truth. I'm not like, okay, I'm not patting myself down. No, it's not. It's more or less that I, I don't, I'm just, I don't think I'm a good writer. Okay. And I don't think I can write fictional novel. So I really wanted to do that very early on. But I kind of suppressed that, suppressed that, suppressed that for a long period of time. And finally, you know, that urge, your heart wants what it wants. Yeah, and yeah. I cannot suppress it anymore. Finally, we're like, you know what? I don't care. I'm just going to write. And uh, I think that kind of came through um, one and a half years ago. Kind of like, you know what? I just need to do this. I need what is, to do this. What's the novel about? It's a chick flick, and it's really about this uh, Taiwanese American, not me, actually. Oh, wanted okay, to okay, somebody <laughs> not you who it's Taiwanese American. Not it's not, it's not me. Actually, she she kind of she got married and she has a perfect life, and and uh, of course, and she always wants to be an interior designer. Not me. I don't want to be an interior designer, but she has an accounting background. But she wants to kind of make that career transition. Got so it. the 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 whole story is about how she make a transition at the same time manage kind of like a work and life balance along the way. I that's what we all need. Yeah. Have you noted? So there's this push. You know, I I'm 100 Ukrainian. Oh, I know that's the two. Yeah, yeah, I do know. Okay. I, everyone everyone thinks I'm Spanish or Italian or something. I'm not. And I'd never seen, I, I did, well, actually it was Russian is what I thought we were, but it turns out Odessa and Kiev is 100%. <laughs> I had not seen it. You know what? I want to tell you, sorry, I've been to Kiev, the capital yeah. of Ukraine. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, it's a beautiful city. It reminds me of Portland, Oregon. Well, it was. I don't know if it's still there. I know. I understand. Yeah, Which I've been there. crazy. Yeah, there. And, but I never saw a lot of people like me growing up. I had very dark hair and I, we, had a definite, we had a definite unique culture growing up. Yeah. Um, how did you, did you feel good, bad, or indifferent growing up, not fitting in to the American norm, but now everything has changed. I don't know what yeah. everything looks like, but I know it's different. It is. So, oh yeah. I feel like an outcast for a long period of time, always. Yeah. And uh, you have to understand, I, I came to the States when I was uh, 15. So I went to high school and in California, not speaking English very well. And then one way or another, don't ask me why I got a, a little scholarship money and whatever. So I went to University of Kentucky, which is the South. Okay, so uh, for an Asian girl, like went to a university in the South and not speaking English very well. So it was hard. It was hard. But you know it what? Also made you you always thrive. Yeah, yeah, it is. You kind of just like do the best you can. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> whatever is not killing you, you'll make it. You'll be fine. What, what ethnicity is your husband? What? What ethnicity oh, my, is your husband? My husband is Jewish. So am I. <laughs> <laughs> That's also, that makes, well, that makes for a great Christmas Eve because we always ate Chinese food on New Year's. <laughs> yeah, we did too. <laughs> oh, we can dish the dirt here. The rest of the audience is going, I don't know what they're oh, talking about. Oh my God. Here. I don't know why I joined the suffering tribe. I called in the suffering tribe. My God. You know, somehow destiny, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and so now your kids, that, that's an interesting background for them. How do they yeah. feel? How are they experiencing life growing up? Oh, they actually are pretty good. We raised them Jewish. So that turned out to be uh, a good thing. So they actually, they love Taiwan. And um, we've been to Taiwan many times and they love Taiwanese food. And they also love the culture there. And they have a very strong identity of who they are. And they embrace both cultures. And I, I I'm very, very grateful for that. 
But you said your mom lives with you. How does your mom, how does your mom embrace all this? My mom was not happy. Honestly. <laughs> oh my I God. Yeah. Oh my God. My mom was like, you know what? I fail miserably. <laughs> she said she was like, I fail as a mother. I was like, mom, you did not fail. And uh, so the first two years was very hard for her. And then, um, then after the kids were born and then, and she also see how happy I am and how nice Mike is. So, you know, over time it was good. I mean, it's a happy ending, but initial, the first two years was very hard. It's, you know, it's a very funny thing as we're moving into this whole new century about culture. Yeah. Uh, The diversity in culture, how we accept people, how we don't, because my mom did not accept anything that, you know, they are very strange people. And it led me in the complete opposite direction, which I'm yeah. very grateful for because that's how you need to be in today's world. I, but- I see so too. I mean, my mom eventually opened opened up and then become well, a lot, wait a lot open-minded, but took a long time. But she know? also opened up because people are humans. They're not their culture. So it's not like it's a whole race of people or a whole creed of people. This is a person. I raised a, a black kid from the South Central for 12 years of his life. And I experienced a very different culture in Los Angeles and I loved it, but it was, you know, that it was him and it was people in our world. I think the biggest thing kills us is stereotypes. What we think somebody is by looking at them. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Oh, But I will tell you what, you know how I got over that? I was 10 years old and they did an experiment. I was in fifth grade and everybody who had brown eyes had to stay after school and do extra homework Everybody who had blue and green eyes got to go home early and got extra credit all week long. Oh, my God. We were already a little political. We got to the – it was 1970. We got to the auditorium at the end of Friday, and everyone was all up in arms about this. And I have hazel eyes. I'm like, see, they're green. They're green. And they're like, no, no, no. You're in the brown-eyed. And I'm glad I was in the brown-eyed because I was made to feel less than for no other reason than I couldn't change my eye color. And we grew up in a very Jewish-Italian. It was pizza, pasta, and matzah. Yeah. And we, there were, you know, it was, it, we didn't experience what the rest of the world was experiencing and our school wanted us to understand that. And I deeply, deeply understood. I got the message and I wish more, more people and more families could get the message. It's a humanity message that all the trappings of us, whether you're rich, tall, black, white, short, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're yeah. a human being. And I think that we tend to forget that. But I also believe, yes, we're talking about 70s, 80s, and 90s. And um, I really think that the direction, even though the country is heavily divided, I got that. And I'm very sad about that. But uh, but I also feel people are a whole lot more open-minded now than ever before. So that's yeah. why I'm hopeful, you know. I, I, and I love the idea that you are hopeful and I would love to be because we've had to look at I mean, I think that a lot of our parents and people who are all alive in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s are going, wow, I didn't know that that culture existed. I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad for them. I'm glad for us. All right. So we're getting down to the end of our show here. I want to go back to a little bit about, so you, you only coach people business to business, but you have such great insight into branding and marketing. As you're looking at the field of entrepreneurs who do business to consumers, what's a, a takeaway? What's the thing that you can leave them with? You know, you kind of said it very early on and uh, that uh, when you work for yourself, you have to hustle. And uh, when you do work for yourself and uh, you have to hustle, I think that's number one. 
And from my perspective, and that means you have to work pretty hard. You have to, there, there's a lot of people who say, oh yeah, you can make 40, you can work 40 hours and you can be effective, whatever. You know, I don't believe that. I really think you have to hustle. Okay. And that's number one. And number two um, is, uh, like I said, in, a, in addition to the product and services that you offer and the promotion, which is I talk about. And um, the one key thing, the last bonus point I want to share with everybody is watch your cash flow like a hawk. You have to know your bank statements and also how much money in your bank inside and out and manage your own money, not necessarily that other people sign your checks and know what kind of money you have in your bank account, how that will cover actually your expenses in the future and proactively managing that. I think that's very important in terms of managing stress. And, you know, you should do a little course on finance for those of us who are a little bit financially illiterate. <laughs> Well, no, but it's that Jewish side. We don't, I like to I make the money. I, mean, I understand, but Forbes, the key thing is not necessary that you have to understand the income statement or balance sheets or No, but you do. Don't is, kid yourself. But, you do. But, 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 at minimal level, just know how much money you have in your bank account. Okay. That's very important. And don't spend the money you don't need to spend. <laughs> Rich dad, poor dad. Rich mom, poor mom. I get it. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I wonder if that book's been done, Rich, Rich mom. Or mom. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. There may be an opening in the Maybe Forbes. That can be your next project. I right. They're going to come and sue me for that. That's great. Sharon Lecter is a good friend of mine. That'd be interesting. Um, you know, you are in this book writing mode. Yeah. And in books, you have to tell stories. Yes. You have a thought about, though, that storytelling is also important in business and marketing. Can you share that with me? Yes. That's actually another biggest takeaway, uh, kind of going through the writing journey, especially writing a fictional novel. I mean, I have done three business books, so I know how to write business book. It's always about framework. It's all about process. It's always about steps. Business book is always like even self-help, uh, self-help, help books. It's, it's, there's a framework, there's a process, there's steps. So writing non-fictional book, there is a flow that you do. Okay, the writing fictional novel is really it's really about telling a story and uh, what and the story is about characters, about plot. How do you build that little universe and how do you tell that story and get people so excited and they want to turn the next page and next page and next page until the end of the page and the, the end of the book? And I think that plot and character development can apply to the business side is when you are looking into kind of like your customer's challenge because you create a product for a reason. This product solves a problem. Is it possible that you can tell tell a little story about this pen, how to solve your customer's problem. So that's how the, the storytelling can come into play. It does take a little bit of time to think through who is your character, which is your potential customer. How do they use the product and what kind of challenges they bring into? How can you tell a little story that made them, interest, made them interested to hear more? I, I love that. Do you teach that or do you just tell that? I tell them. <laughs> I, you know, teaching on the storytelling, what I just said might be a little bit harder because every product is a little different, a little different. And I have not found the framework that I can consolidate or centralize and become a process that I can sell. 
Do you know what I'm saying? So if you want to sell something like Forbes, you are selling yourself, you're selling about manufacturing and uh, you, you, you have a certain things that you want people to follow to get to the point that your dream come true. I have not come up with the framework yet. Well, I can help you with that. We should have a conversation because I love, but I love business to, to, you know, that's all I've ever done. I made a whole living on selling products, literally products through television. And I, I love the whole concept of this. No, it's been so delightful to meet you. Um, you know, you had a question that you had asked um, me to ask you about cultural differences. Um, do you find that that, see, again, I'm not a child of the 2024s. I don't think, I don't know that my kids see any cultural differences like we did growing up. No, but they does, don't. Yeah. They, they, they really don't. How does that fit for you? Do you? Um, I think, uh, that's a very good question. It also, it depends on which Pam uh, are you talking to? Uh, am I, are you talking to a Pam that was, you know, like 20 years old or 30 years old? Are you talking to Pam, which is the current Pam? And uh, I, I guess the way you and I be, uh, were brought up, you know, we see the cultural differences. We kind of see a different races. We kind of see how people act differently uh, in, a different, in, in a different group ethnic group. I, I totally agree with you now. Like my children don't see that either. They don't. Yeah, wow. Isn't it? They don't. Yeah. They don't see it. And uh, like K-pop, you know, like, like the, the, how popular K-pop is. And a lot of those kids don't even speak in Koreans, but they can sing the songs oh, that God. was never heard of. Right. Like 20 years ago. Right. So um, you are totally right. I don't, I, I think that a lot of, cultural differences has been kind of emerged into a pop culture. All right. But so, but and here's the people a kind of, they take that for granted. Well, but here's a different version of that question. How do you feel about what the diversity quotas? This is a new thing that started obviously many years oh, ago. Oh my God. This is such a touchy subject. <laughs> I know it is. I know. <laughs> oh man. I'm not trying to be political or trying to be like police both sides when I say this. I actually, when I was reading about uh, the, um, uh, this specific topic, I tried to read both sides. And uh, I mean, obviously, I'm a minority. I'm a woman. And uh, so that's a gender difference. And uh, I am Taiwanese. I'm Asian. So that's kind of like a race difference. And, uh, you know, quickly, I will be at a certain age. Right. So oh. there will be an age difference. Right. So I think a certain uh, optimal mix of diversity is important. But I also understand some people think that can be taken to extreme. I, I get that. I can see the both point of view. And I'm not trying, like I said, I'm not trying to please both sides. I'm not. And uh, I can see why they're afraid. <laughs> I don't think there's a reason to, but anyway, but I can also see that um, the diversity actually helps the society and makes the society better. I do. And I'm a little confused. You know, I listened to the Joe Coy. Who I just love. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The golden globe. I didn't watch that. I think uh, he did a monologue or something, but he I did. Watch he's, he's a brilliant comedian. He's Filipino. Yeah. I grew yeah. up with Philippine. I'm, I grew up in a very diverse culture, so I don't, I, again, but he was very interesting in that 
he had said something about, you know, it's funny because in America, we're all fighting to make sure that every group of six has every single ethnicity in it. No matter where the group of six is, you're like, oh my God, this is, and you can feel it and it feels false and kind of yeah, weird. it is. Yeah. And he says, you know, when you go to the Philippines, he says, I watch Filipino television. They're all Filipino. <laughs> and I was like, isn't that interesting? So I, I don't know the right or wrong, but I do know that picking people because of how they look is not the right way to do it. But it seems like the pendulum always just swings. Swing back. Yeah. Yeah. The, the extreme right on the two spectrums. And, um, you know, Forbes, I'm glad that you answered that question. And I don't know if I provided the right answer. Maybe there's no right answer. And we, we just, you know, in this, in the society, we kind of just have to walk that path together collectively you know, and hopefully we'll make sense out of it. I think what you and I can do, though, as women who are powerful is to just... I don't know I'm powerful. You are, okay? <laughs> I don't think I am. That's just made that very clear. No, you have, believe me, you are a successful mom of two who survived the corporate world, who's got to do... <laughs> trust me, you're powerful. And by that, what comes out in your books and hopefully will come out in your messaging is a sense of self-acceptance. Yeah. You know, you can stand in any crowd and say, I am... I am different, I am a klutz, I am not good enough, or I'm extraordinary, or I'm white, or I'm purple. You can say the I am, or you can just simply stand there and go, I'm human, I'm powerful, I breathe. Uh, Because I certainly have dealt with it. I've been a woman pioneer in a man's world, and I was all by myself. No one, I I didn't know what to talk about getting fired. That happened a couple of times because nobody wanted to hear me speak up, and I couldn't help myself. I remember (laughs) one of my agents going, could you just stop? And I'm like, no, I just wouldn't be me. (laughs) <laughs> and I listened to JLo, who's obviously at the top of her career, little yeah. Puerto Rican girl, you know, made good, wildly talented. Yeah. And she was talking with a group of, of other actresses saying, to this day, she's on a set and they don't want to hear from her the way they want to hear from the guys. If she yeah. shows up 15 minutes late, it's a big deal. Or she's a diva. And I'm like, it's still, it's, it's still, still there. It's, the perception is still there. I mean, it's, it's just hard, but I really, again, I really believe it will get better. We have to, right? To maintain, to have that sense of... Well, if you're listening, if that's what this conversation is about, it will get better because we're choosing, get better. we're choosing to talk about it. Yeah. We're choosing to go, oh, look at you and look at me and how do you feel about it? Um, and then just kind of continue to wash away the fact that it is not how you look. It is who you are who you become as a person, how you treat others. That is, in fact, the most important aspect of us as humans. And by the way, if we don't figure it out pretty soon, AI is going to take over anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Final final thoughts from my audience. For me? Yep. Oh, you know what? And uh, I think uh, Forbes hit the core. And in terms of like, this is a new year and 2024 is going to be great and accept who you are and whatever you want to do, just go for it. Yeah, I think that is absolutely how I feel. Um, for those of you listening to this live, congratulations. Uh, if you listen to it recorded, I think this is a beautiful, spirited conversation. I love how the wind connected the two of us. And uh, I have no doubt that you're an extraordinary mom. Thank so, you. I, but I have a couple more minutes just before we wrap up everything. Bye. As, you know, as you look at this new generation, what do you tell your kids? Obviously, you told them to get an education or get a job. What's your hope for them for this future? 
Oh my God, that is such a loaded question. I mean, my oldest child was so kind of fed up with uh, like the the very negative outcome of the world in the next 20, 50 years that he decided he doesn't even want to have kids. I was like, no, oh my God, my you don't have kids. You wait, need wait. to have kids. I'm serious. He was like, no, I'm not having kids. I mean, look at this world. It's falling apart. It's going doom, whatever. I'm not having any kids. And um, I think the key things I want to tell my kids is, you know what? If you are the you are the well-educated one and you are having that kind of thought, imagine everybody else. Don't, have, don't do that. Don't do that. You need to be hopeful. And that if there are things we need to do a little bit differently, well, even just one, one person making a little change, that will make a difference. And uh, so my thought always like to my kids, like whatever you want to do, especially something that's good for the human, uh, the overall society, let's do it. Let's find a way to make it happen. So, but I think it's it's my, da- my daughter said that and my heart stopped. She's like, yeah, me too. I'm like, what? You don't want this was the greatest joy of my entire life. I, and by the way, you know, for all the kids who think that life is tough, remind them about the 1920s when, you know, when grown men had no I hear food. I hear you. I hear World you. War One, World War II, the Korean Vietnam Wars that we have gone through that are extraordinarily horrible or the olden days. There was never been a better time. Although I do think growing up in the 70s and 80s was pretty precious. Yeah. It's very simple. I, 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 I actually agree with you. I was uh, growing up in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. It was actually a great time. I mean, like, it very very interesting. My youngest child, and I, he said that the era that he really wanted to go back to relive, to experience, is the 80s. My youngest child, 25. Uh, you know what? <clears throat> I remember thinking about it. There were no wars, like, in the 80s. It was a, back- it was a really simple time to be a kid. Um and you used to be able to play outside and not have worrying about somebody stealing you. There Definitely things have gotten a little bit weirder as I've gotten older. Yeah. Um, and some days I do think we've woken up in a parallel universe. <laughs> so I, okay, no, here's the parallel universe for me, okay? Because I've been an actress and a dancer my entire life. If you weren't a toothpick, if you weren't 20 pounds underweight like I was not, you were overweight and shunned. I walked into the store the other day and there is a, by all means, chubby mannequin. I'm like, a chubby, like, aha. Uh-huh. A chubby man, you look, oh my God. I'm like, oh, if I had just seen you when I was little, I would not have hated my body. <laughs> but, that's but another thing is, I, have you noticed the younger generation actually really embrace different body shapes and so much more than we did? So. It's, I finally feel like I'm, it's okay. I can breathe and have a donut. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Pam, I'm wrapping up the show. Final again, one more time. Any other final thoughts? No, I think like, you know what, everybody, if you are listening, I hope you have a good time and enjoy Forbes uh, uh, podcast or the videos and uh, really try to do what you can to make yourself find that joy. Find how do that we, joy how do we find you? <laughs> if you just Google Pam Dittner, D as in David, I, D as, as in David, N-E-R, Pam Dittner, you can find me anywhere. I'm actually on every single social media channel. I love this. This has been a spirited, wonderful conversation. My heart goes out to you. I want to thank you very much and your family and God bless. And I can't wait to see how that all continues. For the rest of you guys listening to the Forbes Factor, as always, we're here focusing on health, wealth, and happiness. And today, I think we did all three really well. Until next time, be well and be happy. Thank you for making the Forbes Factor an important part of your week. 
Be sure to join Forbes Riley again next Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you again soon.